Hello and welcome to the Pre-Raphaelite Society podcast brought to you by the Pre-Raphaelite Society and today it's a pleasure to have the podcast team back together for a bit of a, bit of a sort of Christmas special really. So hello Sherry, Esther, Alex and Hannah, how are you? Hi Carl. Hi. Hi guys. <laughs> Is everybody okay? Is everybody feeling festive? Freezingly so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, it's very, very cold here in the UK. How, Sherry, how is it in America? Um, it depends where you are. Um, in yeah. Houston, though, it is still summer weather. We're hoping for fall to grace us later this week. <laughs> Just in time for Christmas. Right. <laughs> Esther, is it particularly cold in Spain? Uh, no, not this day. Um, it's a well, this here in the south, of course, um, this is quite warm, I would say. Uh, I don't know, like right now we could have 20 degrees. So oh. that's that's really warm, but it's rainy. It's very, this day has rained a lot, a lot. I've got to say, I don't know about you, Hannah or Carl, that absolutely screams British summer to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little, bit, of, a little yeah. bit warm, yeah. but raining. But raining. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say as well for our American listeners, that's that's Celsius. I don't know what that is in yeah. Fahrenheit, Sherry, but I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> We're just all very jealous here because it is, it is absolutely freezing today. <laughs> it really is. So we just thought for all the listeners, it would be nice to get back together again as a group and just reflect on maybe the last sort of three months and just have a bit of a chat, really, and a catch up. Just think about sort of what we've been up to the past few months and some of the successes we've had sort of along the way I think for me who sort of I, I see the back end of it I get all of the statistics and the data it's just been amazing that this podcast has truly gone worldwide it's been incredible to see what spread what countries have you noticed have people been listening from it'd be lovely to hear more we've got I, I think uh, every country in Europe which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Including Russia, which is impressive. Many countries in Africa, Asia, India. There's, we've got quite a high number of listeners in India, which is fantastic. Brilliant. South America, Peru, Argentina. It's incredible. Obviously, North America, Canada, USA, lots and lots of listeners. It, it's truly worldwide, Australia. You name it, we've, prob- we've probably got listeners there, which is incredible. It's absolutely crazy how many people have actually tuned in to listen to us <laughs> talk about pre-Aphrodite material. And it's, it's actually really, you know, humbling to know how many people love pre around the world and how many of us there really are. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Alex. I feel at times that I'm the only one in my circle here in the U.S. And there's so few and far between here. But it's great to see that, you know, like worldwide, we're all in good company. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think it's I think good company is an excellent point because I, I don't know about your experiences of actually recording podcasts, but it has just been amazing to, just to meet so many like-minded, generous, knowledgeable people who, who just 
care enough to share their time and to share their knowledge and their resources with us. It's just been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I personally, the people that I have had the pleasure of um, chatting with and recording podcasts with have been just so um, giving in their, you know, in their knowledge and just so cooperative and supportive of this as a project. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think some of the names that we have grabbed um, for the podcast have just been absolutely incredible and again, I'm, I'm just so thankful and grateful to the fact that the pre afrolite community is such a nice one and such a friendly one. Mm. And I think it's been really nice to have these conversations and to share them because I know I've had it before when I've spoken to in the past curators or um, academics and just kind of learn their process or their interests or how things come about. Um, Because sometimes I think it can feel a bit intimidating to kind of have these conversations on the podcast and for everyone, you know, to be able to listen. And I've been listening to other episodes as well. I'm like, wow, that's really fascinating or that's really wonderful to hear. So I think it's just been a really useful resource as well and for people to kind of feel that they're learning a bit more about these collections or these artists or the, and these people as well who are kind of involved in the art world in some way or form. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think it's really nice that we sort of built up a real good online community, particularly on Twitter, and there's just been so many sort of positive feedback and so much positive feedback and positive comments. It, I, I think... Alex used the word earlier, it's it's really humbling. You know, we, we didn't think three months ago that that it would become what it has become. It's it's really impressed me. Yeah, and I think what's equally as exciting is the potential that it has. Yeah. And what it's going to become. And I think our listeners are in for a real treat going into the new year because of the bank of episodes that we have been really working hard towards are really exciting. And I think... Uh, not to spoil and not to tease, but I think that they are in for a treat in 2023. So hopefully that kickstarts everybody's year off to, uh, you know, on a good front, I suppose. Mm. I'm looking forward to it anyway, a lot. Yeah. And for anybody kind of listening who wants to get involved or has any ideas or suggestions for topics or people to interview or if there's, you know, art artworks in your local art gallery, that would be wonderful for us to kind of learn more about. Or please, yeah, please do kind of message us in some on some social media or via the society's website or somewhere because it would be really lovely to continue to create kind of a really interesting and I think what's so nice as well is to have such a diverse range of different conversations that we've had and having that like we said geographical spread as well um yeah and there's lots of different perspectives it's been really wonderful and if you know any pre-Raphaelite scholars who might know a bit about wombats (laughs) please get in touch Oh, God, the frenzy of the wombats. <laughs> that was outstanding, that was, on Twitter. Honestly, all I did was create a very humble post saying, if you want to listen to anything, just let us know, give us any suggestions. And then we had so many responses about wombats. I mean, I personally <laughs> had no idea about the frenzy surrounding wombats in pre raphaelite art. I don't know about you guys. But then, but then coincidentally... It was either the next day or the day after. It was actually National Wombat Day. <laughs> yeah. 
I honestly so I when I volunteered at Wittick in the dining room there they had this like a uh, toy wombat that actually had been brought back from Australia by a I think somebody used to work there and there's the most amazing artwork in that room by the way incredible like Rosetti's, Burn Jones, Lucy and Alex Brown and the most of the visitors that come in all they would ask me about is what this wombat is and its story <laughs> and I was thinking there's so many incredible things and William Morris in here and incredible glassware and like that was yeah that was what people wanted to ask so makes sense <laughs> isn't there a book called Rosetti's Wombat I think I believe so yeah yeah maybe the writer of that um potentially mm. would want to could be interviewed I don't know yeah this is our plea if you know of anyone <laughs> or if you have written a book about wombats please drop us a message or drop us an email we're very keen to get in touch <laughs> and Something else that's quite nice is that actually there have been a number of sort of new conversations and developments that have come from the podcast. I know that Alex and I have been involved in setting up the postgraduate network with the mm -hmm. Raphaelite Society. And actually a lot of the conversations we're having in, in setting that up have been informed by these discussions that we've had in setting up the podcast and actually how we're going to use the podcast to promote the postgraduate network and I think vice versa as well. So I think the yeah. podcast is lending itself really well to sort of new ideas and new new ways into pre-Raphaelitism. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the conversations that we had, um, you know, to construct the, the PGR network was from that episode that we recorded with the lovely Jordan Welsh about, yeah. you know, the experience of being a student, of being a researcher, you know, within pre-raphaelitism and we had a lot of people come to us about that didn't we we had a lot of people uh thank us for talking about the process of studying and it applies to not only people who study pre-raphaelite art or whatever it actually applies to phd students in general yeah. um and I, I again i'm going to use that word humbling it was really humbling to um to get such a positive response from that episode in particular yeah i think so i think it was it was good. It was quite cathartic, I think, for all three of mm -hmm. us just to talk through and, and realise that actually all the sort of problems we're all having, a, a, everybody has them. And yeah, like you say, that's not pre-Raphaelite specific. That's sort of postgraduate study specific. And I, I quite like how well, re well received that episode was. We had, like you say, lots of very, very good, very positive feedback. And, you know, although the podcast isn't academic specific, it's for people with an interest in pre-Raphaelitism, I think by its nature, it's going to just draw academics towards it. And I, I always sort of had in, in, in my head for the podcast that it was going to be a more, less academically rigorous way of discussing the pre-Raphaelites. And I think we've, we've got that tone just right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a fascinating episode, guys. Really, really interesting. Yeah. But to add to that, I mean, not only the the episode that we did on, you know, studying at PhD level, all of the episodes that we have done, there is such a vast variety. And, you know, the scope that we have covered so far in terms of pre raphaelite research is absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm absolutely brilliant i think that the variety that we've got going on and i think the upcoming episodes that are due to be released 
will even add to that. Alex, you're right. They definitely will. We've got, see, this is the thing, the listeners don't know what our back catalogue is. <laughs> but there's there's all sorts in there. We've got um, Alex's excellent episodes on uh, Fanny Eaton and Rebecca Solomon and Queer and Elizabeth Siddle, which is an interesting way of reading her. I was really interested in editing that one up. That was fantastic. What else have we got? We've got an upcoming episode on the new Rossetti exhibition at the Tate. Thank you, Hannah and Alex, for doing that. We've got lots on Christina Rossetti, Esther. That's amazing. Thank you. I'm looking forward to editing those up as they come through. Sherry, you've got... Who, who have you got? Let's see if we can find a list. I am working, just trying to get around everyone's busy schedule. I'm hoping to have Tim Berenger soon. Um, and Eleonora Sasso, also um, Gail Seymour, um, who is a Solomon um, scholar and um, assistant dean at a university here in the U.S. Um, also want to mention, for those of who aren't as familiar with the Pre-Raphaelites, don't fear. We hope to have, for recording soon, of just a good introduction of the Pre-Raphaelites and how they came to be, who they are, just to get help get everyone in a better place. Yeah, we're going to spend, we'll do another episode like this very shortly in the new year, where we attempt to define Pre-Raphaelitism. That'll be an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a difficult one as well. Uh, I'm already mm. trying to get my head around that idea of how would I go about defining that. But at the moment, I'm very, very festive. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm going to relax the old brain over the Christmas period. <laughs> and at the moment, all I care about is pre like Christmas art. Oh. <laughs> that was such a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I had to use the opportunity. I was going <laughs> to... Alex, which pre-Raphaelite Christmas art would you like to talk about in this episode? Do I have to go first? Well, <laughs> um, uh, you, you okay. know, I have to, but we, we well, as a disclaimer for the listeners, we, we chose to talk about one piece of pre-Raphaelite Christmas art, yet Sherry, Esther and myself will pick the same one. So, <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll, I'll make a start, seeing as I, I am quite excited about this piece. And it's a piece that people, um, well, I think people know particularly well. I know that um, Kirsty Stonell Walker is very interested in this piece, and she wrote a lovely blog post about it a few years ago. It's Rossetti's Hanging the Mistletoe, a.k.a. the farmer's daughter, a.k.a. Tying the Mistletoe. For some reason, he decided to give it a load of bunch of names. Um, and it, it's what I love about it is... It's so conventionally pre-Raphaelite, if you will, that you've got the, you know, the, the whimsical woman looking over her shoulder. She's hanging things on the tree and she's, you know, and the vibrancy of the colours of like, you know, just spouts of green and red. And, you know, that the fiery red hair that is, you know, so characteristically pre-Raphaelite. And um, I just think it's absolutely stunning. And I think that the history behind it is quite interesting as well, because um, he... He painted it in 1860, and there is a lot of speculation surrounding this painting that the model is um, is Siddle. 
um, because uh, obviously he painted it at the time that they were romantically involved. And uh, yeah, if, if you look at the other sketches that he does off Siddle, and then you look back at hanging the mistletoe, tying the mistletoe, however you're going to refer to this piece of work, there are some really strong similarities between the way that the female subject is portrayed, but festive edition. <laughs> and that's what I love about th this work. I, th I think what really strikes me with this work is, um, again, the vibrancy of the colours and everything. And even the um, the chalk copy that he made for George Boyce, um, Hanging the Mistletoe, this was in 1868. It's a few years after the original one. Um, even the even the chalk drawing that he did of the same thing is equally as beautiful. I, I you know whether it be just the composition of the woman itself and the pose in which she is in, the the pout that she's got on her as well, is you know implies that she's quite a feisty character. And again, that just adds with the the beautiful color of the of the original painting itself. Um, so that is my favorite festive pre-raph painting, folks. Uh, Hanging the mistletoe. Check it out if you haven't seen it before. It is a lovely piece of work. Thanks, Alex. Hannah, would you like to do yours and then and then Sherry Esther and I can have an in-depth conversation on our <laughs> Yeah. Well, interestingly, so I didn't know which um artwork Alex had chosen, but mine was also painted in 1860, and it is also of a single female figure with a uh, a festive, it's not mistletoe in the sense, it's a Christmas pudding, but with an object with her. So it's interesting. Um, so the artwork I wanted to talk about today is called The Poor Actress's Christmas Dinner by Robert Braithwaite Martineau, which is in the Ashmolean collection in Oxford. And it's an unfinished painting um, in a gilt frame. Um, and I actually, so I like got fascinated by this painting when I was searching, because um, I run the Pre-Aflight Society's Instagram, and I was trying to find images for Christmas and interesting new ones I hadn't seen before. And I just came across this while I was on Art UK website just searching. And it's so kind of quite macabre and quite depressing and quite Dickensian. Um, very Victorian, but I just found it a really fascinating Christmas image. And so I started researching it and I've ended up writing 1500 words, which I won't talk about now because there, it could be a, another episode in itself or write something for the Society Review or anything. But yeah. So I haven't been able to find much about the painting itself. Um, the artist, uh, Robert Martineau, we do know that he actually did train in the studio of William Holman Hunt, one of the founding members of the Paraphalite studio, but there isn't much written about him. Um, there's quite a few of his artwork in public collections. He's really like a genre painter, and this is a genre painting. And I've been trying to find out more about who this model for this poor actress is. Because um, she looks a bit like Ruth Herbert, who modelled for Rossetti and was an actress um, at the time, but there's not much known. Um, and obviously, do, thinking about the word actress as well in the Victorian society, um, there's kind of, at the time, there was certain connotations with it and sex work. So it's this idea of this kind of lone, on her own, kind of single, independent woman um, in this painting who looks quite melancholy but I, it's really a modernist piece I think because it's not finished and because it's got this stark white background um it's just a really interesting kind of take on Christmas. I think yeah favourite is probably the wrong choice of words um because it's, it's a it's a painting really that I'm just fascinated with at the moment because I've only recently discovered it and um I think it's a really beautiful poignant painting and I because I haven't been able to find that much about it 
I've been really interested in trying to discover who the model is in it. Um, if it comes from, if Martin knew when he was painting it had, if there's a literary source um, that we just know, don't know about yet, or whether this was something that came from his imagination or it came from something that he sort of knew of um, the poverty um, of women at the time, of working class women and what uh, any actress that he knew or the kind of position that they were in that I find is really interesting. So it's a really sad piece and I think also to think about that Christmas isn't always a great time for everyone um a lot of people can feel a lot of loneliness um at this at this period in time um or not find it a particularly happy period or um also with um both the financial crisis that um is really affecting a lot of people so it's um I just think a really kind of poignant piece around um, around both issues at the time um, in the Victorian in the 1860s that were being faced and also today. So, yeah, I just think it's um, not to bring the tone down in the podcast, but I think it's a really interesting, really interesting painting. And I'm going to stop there because otherwise I will keep rambling on for 1500 words. Oh, that sounds fascinating. It's, it's a really quite a striking painting, isn't it? Yeah, I really like um, unfinished paintings and sketches mm -hmm. as well because you get a sense of the artist's um, technique and the way he, you build up a painting, yeah. especially when you can see like, the outline. It looks like she's holding... It looks like she could be holding a fork um, while she's got her arm maybe resting on the table. So it's, yeah, it's just a kind of interesting piece. And it's interesting that he never finished it. Like, he painted it nine years before he died, so, you know, plenty of time to go back to it. And for whatever reason, whether he thought it was too, um, it's something for a personal reason or whether professional reason he didn't like it and just didn't want to finish it. But yeah, he never did. And then his daughter gave it to the Ashmolean. So. Hannah, you you mentioned Instagram. Would you like to talk about your successes on Instagram? It's been incredible. Well, I have to say, so I look after it, but I do. So I do this. Uh, society social media and um, posts Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But I do share. So Kat, Katia, who's brilliant, Katia Robinson, who um, does many has many hats with the Perfect Society. She does posts Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I kind of repost her things on those days and do a few extra stuff. But yeah, it's been really good to connect. It's been going for less than a year, and I always try and do extra or specific posts just for there. So it's a bit different to our Facebook and Twitter. But we've got at the moment just over 37,000 followers, which is incredible. And so many messages and people reaching out from all over the world. Sometimes I'm like having to Google Translate because it is, it's just <laughs> it's really good people that it's connected with. And some really interesting comments as well and artworks. I think doing it, I've just discovered as well, it, a number of artworks, including this one that I just had never seen before. And yeah, Instagram is just, yeah, it's been really, really amazing kind of the response it's had so yeah I'm just very yeah I think humbled is the word for this episode <laughs> uh, thanks Alex yeah it's been great it is incredible Han with what you've done with the Instagram account thank you it's just been great to also reach out to other organizations on there and um really see uh, and be able to kind of have that dialogue with other places like the Ashmolean, and the William Morris, William Morris Society, the Walcott Gallery, loads of other places to connect as well and with lots of supporters and like working on like 
and like the London, the London ga gasseteers and um, their kind of campaign to save the gaslights in London. I only found out about through Instagram and kind of reshared some of their posts. So to kind of show our support. So yeah, it's a really wonderful resource. Well, yeah, it's going so well over there. Hani, you're doing an amazing job. You and Katya, fantastic. Now, for Esther, Sherry and myself, we're going into Burn Jones territory. Sherry, would you like to start us off? Because I'm going to talk about the painting, but that started life as something else. Sure. I had chosen the Adoration of the Magi, uh, designed by Burn Jones, but it's a tapestry, or it was a tapestry, completed by William Morris and William Morris and Company. And I've always been drawn to this image, even before I knew who Burne Jones was, just because of the colors and the richness of this tapestry. Um, also, I love that the wise men are not all white um, in today's age of actually recognizing people being having different ethnic backgrounds. I love that each of them has a different skin tone to represent where they came from um, because one was supposed to be from Yemen, one Egypt and one from Turkey. And so they all have these different rich skin tones. Also, I love this one because baby Jesus looks like a baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For anyone familiar with especially Renaissance art and the little man, shrunken man, you know, baby Jesus representations, it's so nice to see one that looks like an actual baby. But I'll let Esther and Carl have <laughs> have some fun picking this one apart too. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Sherry. And I actually, um, th th that was one of the reasons why I... I I chose this one too, or what I like it so much, because, yeah, the three wise men, well, of course, here in, uh, in Spain, they are, you know, they are very big figures here in Spain, you know, tradition uh, for Christmas. Of course, you have Santa Claus and, <laughs> and all that, but for us, the, the three wise men uh, are like the, the real kind of, yeah, the protagonists, so to, uh, for, for our Christmas period. Um, and so having them here represented, and, and as you said, because that's what that was one of the, the reasons why I like this tapestry too, because the way of representing them each uh, differently, uh, with different skin colors, as you said, um, and it's everything about them. They are completely different in their attributes too, the physical attributes and everything, the way they are dressed and everything. I mean, yeah, I kind of like that. It's sort of kind of also the the colors the very striking colors kind of reminds you of medievalism and that kind of thing so there are lots of things there that are really impressive and what about you Carl? Well I know it started life as a tapestry but I do also know that it there was a painting commissioned for Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery in 1887 of the tapestry it's called the Star of Bethlehem and well, it's massive <laughs> to put it. I, I think it, it is either the largest watercolour in the world or it certainly was the largest 19th century watercolour in the world. Anyhow, it, it's huge. I think, it, I think it's about eight foot by 12 foot. And it really was one of the first paintings to sort of just 
blow me away because it, it's in Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery and I spent sort of a lot of time as a child and as a teenager going around Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery and it, it's really quite a sight to behold Alex and Hannah are you familiar with it have you seen it in on site yeah I have seen it in all its glory it's absolutely beautiful yeah it, it it's just incredible but I, I think importantly it's just undergone a major sort of conservation work and Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery uh, actually had a big fundraising project it cost £50,000 they've had to replace all of the sort of glazing that goes over the front of it because it's very old fragile sort of Victorian glass and mm. if it were to crack it would ruin the picture so they've had to take all that off and replace the glass and give it a good sort of conservation and a clean so I'm hoping when Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery opens up again. I, th I think it's due 2024 to reopen. We'll be able to mm. see it in sort of fresh new light and fresh new vivid colours. Um, interestingly, when they've sort of taken the frame off and taken the glass out, it's uncovered Burn Jones's signature, which is really cool to see. That, that was mm. covered up. Before. Yeah. So it's Nice for the reasons that Sherry and Esther have said. I think it's fantastic that it depicts the three wise men as um, sort of different skin tones. Very unusual for a sort of Victorian painting. What's quite nice for me is, is the symbolism inside it. I, the flower, the little white flowers that are at Mary's feet are actually, they're called the Star of Bethlehem. That's their sort of little nickname, which is really nice. And I don't know the names of the wise men in order, but actually in the painting, you can get a lot more detail in it than you can on the tapestry. And actually, I think it's the central figure that's wearing almost like plate armour. And you can see really close, there's sort of mythological scenes in there from uh, Greek, Roman, Egyptian history. And I believe it's the first wise man, if you go really close into his cloak you can see details from sort of the saint george and the dragon story i think it's quite nice sort of solemn face of mary i think it's quite a pretty interesting and strange depiction of mary and a very human and very sort of genuine depiction of jesus as esther said you know mm. jesus almost looks sort of quite frightened and bewildered in, in this picture yeah, I mean, the details are just impressive. There's so many painstakingly, yeah, details that are just, yeah, impressive. So seeing it, like, live, <laughs> seeing it in front of you, it has to be, well, like... I think it's, it's really nice because the tapestry is so rich in colour. Yeah, the painting the painting is very rich in colour, but the, the palette's muted in comparison to those mm. bright reds and the um, sort of the bright blues of the tapestry. So it'd be interesting to see what it's like after this conservation work. Mm. Right. Well, and I'm sure once the conservation's done too in the painting, you'll be able to see even more of those de small details. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. where where like you said you're seeing references to who you know different stories in their robes and, and it'll be interesting to see what what you can see now versus what you could see before 
I definitely think that uh, Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery, once it's fully opened, I absolutely think it's worth a visit for a podcast episode uh, to mm. film I, actually I was... there, just to check out the whole collection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a very long been... episode, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think, yeah, like you said, I think it's really nice to see things in the flesh because I've not seen painting I was talking about, I've never actually seen at the Ashmolean, and I don't think I've seen Alex's either. Um, and yeah, so to see them, yeah, to see it kind of in the flesh again, or yeah, for the first time would be amazing. And just to see what they've, yeah, like what they've done with the, what they'll have done with the pre-Raphaelite galleries at Birmingham, like the changes that will have been made, what's actually on display. I imagine obviously this one will be, but um, see what else is there. Yeah, I hope they've kept the the, the Burn Jones room. It's fantastic. It's got the big mm. harpsichord in the middle, which is incredible. I think that'd be a great one. Hopefully we can, if we can do a podcast episode, we could we could do one in the Burn Jones room with the mm. the painting in the background. I wonder if that'd let me have a go on the harpsichord. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Please make sure I'm there for when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it depends on how many listeners we get for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It might bring a whole new audience. You don't know. Who's going to do pre-Raphaelite recitals on the harpsichord? Sure, there's something in that. <laughs> We've got to sing in the bleak midwinter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For Christina. <laughs> Carol. Oh, we we need we need to pull in some contacts at Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery for for this time next year. We could have a a pre-reopening special edition maybe that would be really cool <laughs> yeah can you play can you play the organ carl because we could try the cathedral as well where there's the beautiful burn jones stained glass oh, no. oh yeah <laughs> i won't be bordering on blasphemy letting me loose with a church organ <laughs> <laughs> it's all right me and hannah will sing oh <laughs> Alex. <laughs> I'm sure you've got a beautiful voice, but I'd be kicked out of that cathedral so quickly. A beautiful voice with this accent. I'm absolutely sure I will murder whatever I attempt to sing. I was relying on you, to be honest, Han. Oh, no, the... like, there was a thing of Ozzy Osbourne and the other Birmingham musicians. <laughs> They've got great voices. I'm sure you will do, too. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the, is it the fifth member of Black Sabbath? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I that's what I do in my uh, in my spare time. I'm the fifth member of Black Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, um, if if I attempted to sing any kind of Christmas carol, as much as I love listening to them, I think I'd absolutely butcher them. So count me out. I'll, I'll be there with the camera phone. I'll film you guys do it. I'll just watch. I'll hold the bags. If you want to speak Britishisms, I'll hold the bags. You know what? Genuinely, though, the cathedral would be another great episode, you know, with those beautiful Burne Jones windows. Yeah. Yeah, because they're kind of in the space they were obviously designed for, mm. and the, the building is still used the cathedral, so people still go there to worship. So to get that sense of worshipping with the stained glass, it's different, I suppose, when it's when you have a stained glass in a museum, obviously, in comparison to a stained glass actually in that space. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really that could be a potential um, Easter episode. Yes. Not that I'm planning for the future, folks, but you have to in this business. <laughs> um, but Easter, that would be a lovely Easter episode or w- one of our potential Easter episodes anyway, because you you have so much to talk about for Easter. 
we pre pre-ref like art, but I'm not going to go into that because this is for Christmas. So uh, we'll save that for the Easter special, shall we? <laughs> is anybody doing anything particularly pre-Raphaelite for Christmas? I know Hannah and I are, are off to Whittick next week to do another recording. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm talking to Carl. I can't wait to hear more about your research and to, yeah, be in that space. It's all decorated, Carl, as well, so we can go for a wander. Oh, brilliant. I can't wait. I'm not doing anything mm. pre-Raphaelite-esque. I'm watching a Christmas Carol um, in the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford Ooh. this weekend. So I, I'm getting into the old Victorian Christmas kind <laughs> of thing, but nothing pre raphaelite I suppose. We'll take Victorian Christmas. Yeah. Mm. You have to watch yeah. Christmas Carol. It's the law. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> it's the standard law, isn't it? But um, also the Victorian Christmas markets, the ones mm. in Budley and the ones in Worcester at the moment, uh, local areas to us. They are lovely, mm. aren't they? The Victorian mm. markets. Mm. Yeah, the one in Oxford as well. I went to recently. That's beautiful. I just wanted to ask though, Alex. Um, going obviously to see see a Christmas Carol sounds amazing. I'm guessing the Royal Shakespeare Company aren't including Muppets though in their <laughs> version. Unfortunately, <laughs> don't tell me that. That's the reason I'm going. <laughs> no, I'm just imagining these Muppets on on this stage with this very kind of you know. No. Um... <laughs> no Muppets, I'm afraid. No Muppets. Um, but that still stands as one of the best adaptations of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> and genuinely, um, this is completely off topic, but I would I would pay actual money to revive Charles Dickens for him to watch the Muppets adaptation and just to hear what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go with that one. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I've just killed the conversation. <laughs> I think he'd be very Scrooge-esque, maybe, watching it. Yeah. He was a bit Scroogey about the pre-Raphaelites, wasn't he, Charles Dickens? I don't think he was a fan, at least not at the no. start. That is such a good no. segue. He wasn't. No, he wasn't. Yeah. First exhibition. <laughs> he launched a scathing review, didn't he? Mm. But that being said, yeah. he was supportive of some of the more obscure um, women pre-Raphaelites, so he offered a lot mm. of critical commentary on Anna Mary Howitt's works. As you know, mm. that the Howitts were very acquainted with leading names in the literary circle mm. um, and Charles Dickens was very well known to the Howitt family and then through Anna Mary Howitt you also got Elizabeth Siddle, you also got Barbara Lee Smith uh, Bessie Parks, mm. all of those women that contributed towards the, the Women's Art Alliance that goes into the wider politics of the whole thing um, mm. but yeah, the Ch Charles Dickens did have a, although he was a little bit uh should I say, scathing towards the pre-Raphaelites initially. He was quite supportive to a lot of them, particularly mm. some of the women. Good. Maybe the pre-Raphaelites won him round. <laughs> Guess you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> shall, shall we just put our sensible heads on for a minute and just, let's just talk about our GoFundMe page that we're launching today. Um, I think We've sort of said from the outset we wanted to keep this as ad-free as possible, a podcast. I think there's really nothing worse than hearing adverts at the beginning or the end, or particularly in the middle. I find it particularly annoying of a, of a podcast. But I think that being said, we are a charity and we sort of incur costs with this podcast. We have to pay for hosting and 
audio equipment and in some cases sort of transport and promotion for the podcast and it's just a bit of a soft plea I think really we've set a GoFundMe page up and we'll put the sort of link in the description below and I do appreciate I think we all appreciate that it's a bit of a challenging time for people at the moment but if if you could spare sort of a couple of pounds, I think it will all add up and it would really help the podcast team out. And I think a bit wider than that, it would help the Pre-Raphaelite Society out. So just any, anything you could spare, thank you very much. And hopefully yeah. that will keep us being ad free. Mm. Or a couple of dollars or euros or any currency. We will take it. <laughs> we will take it all. Yes, any currency, we are worldwide. <laughs> but yeah, just to just to add on to that, we just want to really thank you all for the support and um, for all of the, you know, for every time that you've, you know, sent us an email or given us some feedback on the episodes or even, you know, just tuning in. Uh, we just we are really really grateful for your support um for the podcast and long may it continue into 2023 mm. and beyond yeah. And I just want to say thank you to the four of you as well, because it's just been fascinating hearing all the episodes and hearing ones I haven't worked on at all. And just being they've been really, really interesting to hear and some really great questions. And you've really kind of held the space and held those episodes so well. So thank you to you four as well. Oh, God, I'm feeling the love, guys. Oh. Feeling the love. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've done a brilliant job. And it hasn't just been these past few months. You know, we, we spent a long time planning this. And mm. I think as a team, we've come together really well. We work together really well. We've gelled. So just, I think for me, just thank you as well. It's just been wonderful working with you this year. And thank you so much, Carl, to you for the editing and for the idea and for, yeah, for kind of keeping us on track and, uh, but I, yeah, but I couldn't do it all without you. So stop embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> Before we end, can I just quickly add? Because I read, I listening to, I was thinking about what I said earlier. Um, just to say, the wombat Wittick is a toy one, not stuffed. I said the word wrong, so no wombats were harmed. In, I'm just, I'm just thinking of the note I might get about that. It's like it's a toy one brought back from Australia, not a stuffed one. So yeah, that's good to know. Right? <laughs> yeah, it was actually good to know. Thinking about it now. Thanks, Han. No, I was just I was just waiting for the the comments of animal, you know, cruelty and things. No, it wasn't real. Segwaying a bit before we say goodbye, what happened to all the taxidermy that used to be in Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery? There used to be loads of it when I was a child. I think that's really fallen out of favour, hasn't it recently? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. For the best. Yeah, there's quite a few natural trust places I know that used to have a lot that don't really have it on display as much anywhere near as much now. So it's an acquired taste. It'd be really mm. <laughs> I've noticed that here as well. Like galleries that used to be full of, you know, all the taxidermid animals in the natural mm. science museums. They're it's getting smaller and smaller. It's <laughs> probably a good thing. And on that very strange note, <laughs> <laughs> I think it just remains for us all to wish you a very Merry Christmas, a happy new year. And we look forward to seeing you next year with 
all of our brilliant content. Thank you, Sherry, Esther, Alex and Hannah for a fantastic sort of last year. And I hope all you guys have a wonderful Christmas as well. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.